Hello, listeners. Hello. Welcome to And That's Why We Drink. Ah, that's not it. That's not it? Well, that would be fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is it? Armchair Apocrypha. Armchair Apocrypha, that's right. This alliteration is, the, is fun. It is. Uh, there's a lot of uh, alliteration on the website, too. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. Uh, once again, we are sounds uh, guest star because uh, our potential People have lives. yeah our potential guest star's um, child is sick, so we are going to let her take a rain check. Excuses, excuses, children. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, children don't get sick. Hopefully, next weekend we will have another guest star. Yeah. Um, next weekend is also my birthday weekend. That's right. So, so excited. I'm going to try to uh, record some um, at the fundraiser. Hopefully mm-hmm. we can get some uh, some good stories. Are we going to be recording this after we see Star Wars? Uh, yeah. Because we might just make the whole thing about, oh, what if I do something? Okay, never mind. I have an idea for next week. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the creative process. That might be all I talk about if it's like right after we see it is all I'm saying. <laughs> cool. Um, How was your week? It was good. It was yeah. busy, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. As Andrew knows, I went out <laughs> doing a bar crawl yesterday. Yeah. It was our friend uh, Amy's, Amy's birthday. birthday. Um, and so she was trying... What was the pub crawl? What's it called? Have you ever heard... I know like you've lived in Louisville for a couple of years, but have you ever heard of the Bambi Walk? No. <laughs> so it's a theory. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if anyone who's ever actually completed it, because I think you would die, but (laughs) the same day you have to go, on Bardstown Road, there's all these bars, and you start at the Bambi Bar, Mm -hmm. and you have to go all the way down to the end of Bardstown, where Bardstown Road, where it splits off and becomes Baxter, Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to end at Phoenix Hill Tavern, which doesn't even exist anymore, so no one even knows where you're supposed to end. I mean, there's, like, all these rules. You have to have at least one drink at each bar along the way. You can have water. And, like, all these other rules, just a few, but you have to hit at least 23 of the bars. Right. So it's like having 23 drinks, walking, or, like, getting quick rides. How long do you have to complete it? Just one day? Yeah, you have to do it, but some of the places don't open till 4 p.m. That's true. Because um, that was part of our problems. Like, we want to hit the next bar over, but it didn't open for another hour, so it's like, right. well, I guess I'll have to skip it. I mean, we only ended up hitting like eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make fun I was, I knew we weren't going to, but it was fun to see how far we got, which not, was not very far. But we did <laughs> break the rules and have multiple drinks at some of the bars. Right. So when we had our first second drink at the first bar, I was like, we're not going to make it no, anywhere no. close. And then some people have low tolerances that were there. <laughs> and that was just like, you know it's not going to happen. Right. Um, but it was fun like walking down, although it was freezing yesterday yes even with your little alcohol coat on it's still cold (laughs) and windy um but the bambi bar is this idea that you start the or a bambi walk that you start this bambi bar which is a dive bar and it was really nice yeah all the way down the beginning of rest road and then you make it all the way to the end at the end of the day (laughs) and i've heard of people attending it and no one's ever like finished it okay and there's no such thing as a t-shirt people say there are there isn't you gotta make your own (laughs) If I finished the Mandy Walk, I would probably make my own t-shirt. As you should. <laughs> um, I went to a, a Yuletide uh, Bacchanal last night. Fun. Um, it was fun. Uh, Tony ordered a goose from Michigan. 
Uh, <laughs> the best gander around. <laughs> hilarious. Uh, we watched Rare Exports, which I highly recommend everybody watching with friends and roasting the hell out of Oh, yes. Um, because it is bizarre. <laughs> uh, I was sitting between two people, and there were several times throughout the movie where I was like, what the fuck is it's going happening. on? <laughs> um, so I would highly recommend that as a party game. Um, watch Rare Exports. I think it's on Amazon. Uh, and just roast the hell out of it. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Also, I finished the uh, manuscript for... That's right. You sent it to me. Black Masks. Can't wait um, to read it. It's an anti-fascist novel, and it should be going up on Amazon probably in January. So probably around the time that this podcast is released. Probably. <laughs> um... Oh, and I saw Nick Offerman on Thursday. Oh, yeah? Friday, whatever day it was. He was, was hilarious. That? He was great. He's such a great singer and guitar player. Yeah. He did that. That was like half of his act, but it was so good. Ugh. It was fun. It was good. Did he do a lot of new material, or was it mostly like American Ham stuff? Or? No, it was all different. Oh, nice. And the, the title of the tour is called Full Bush. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> That sounds correct. Yes, it was just, it's so great. And his laugh is so pure yeah. and so high and squeaky. It's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. So I really, he was really good. Awesome. All right. Are you ready to start? Yeah. Cool. Uh, so I'm going to do the third in my series of badass women who deserve their own Netflix shows. That's awesome. Um, I'm not sure how long I'm going to do this series, uh, but if you're on Twitter, you probably have seen... A lot of... Uh, Is this the Taylor Swift thing? Yeah. That you're talking about? Yeah. A lot of resp- uh, responses to the Taylor Swift thing. Um, also, the woman who inspired uh, this one um, <clears throat> is uh, bookseller Mackenzie Lee. She's on Twitter as the Mackenzie Lee. Um, and she Back in August, she talked about uh, bygone badass broads. Um, and so I owe her a little bit uh, of inspiration for this one. Okay. Um, after we recorded last week, we watched the Drunk History episode about, uh, Lyudmila Pavlichenko. (laughs) Lyudmila Mikhailovna Pavlichenko. (laughs) Um. Such a great episode. Her maiden name name is Belova, um, and she's also known as Lady Death, which is the... What a badass name. The most badass name. (laughs) Uh... She was born in uh, Circa in the, the Russian Empire um, in 1916. Um, her father was a factory worker and her mother was a teacher. Um, when she was about 14, they moved to Kiev. Um, she was a self-described tomboy and troublemaker. Um, one of her neighbors in Kiev was a young boy who was boasting about his shooting uh, ability. And so she went and she joins the shooting club. Um, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but I'm going to try. Please um, do. Oso Avikim. Sounds right to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, she wanted to show the neighbor boy up, is why she joined the shooting club. Love it. Uh, and she was pretty skilled. She had a lot of natural talent. Um, and she developed into an amateur sharpshooter. Um, and she was also working as a metal grinder at the Kiev Arsenal factory at age 14. 
What were you doing at age 14, <laughs> Andrew? I believe I was in high school. <laughs> what were you doing? Playing field hockey. <laughs> so same thing. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Um, Take a drink for Pavlachenko. <laughs> cheers to Pavlachenko. Uh, in June 1941, the Nazis began Operation Barbarossa, or uh, what you might know as the invasion of the Western Soviet Union. Who are these Nazis you speak of? <laughs> are they good or bad? I think I might have mentioned them in the past. Uh, they're the bad guys. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. Um, the, uh, the operation stemmed from Nazi Germany's ideological aim to conquer the Western Soviet Union so that it could be repopulated by Germans. They wanted to uh, take all the Slavs out of the Western Soviet Union, mm-hmm. repopulate it with Germans, and then use the Slavs as slave labor. Or Slav labor. <laughs> Get out. That was terrible, <laughs> and I apologize. You know I love that humor. <laughs> Um, let's see. Please tell me you wrote that down to remind yourself. Touche, that was awesome. Um, 24-year-old Pavlochenko was in her fourth year studying history at Kiev University. Um, She was, uh, she left school um, and was one of the first volunteers at the Odessa recruiting office where she asked to join the infantry. She wanted to be right in the thick of battle. She wanted to be right in the, th- the thick of combat. And the recruiter laughed in her face. He asked if she wanted to become a nurse instead. And <sighs> Lyudmila was adamant that she wanted to see combat. And she pressured the army until they allowed her to uh, join the Red Army's 25th Rifle Division. Um, in the entire war, there were only 2,000 female snipers. And at the end of the war, only 500 survived. And Leeward Milo was one of those 500. Wow. Two-thirds. Gosh. Yeah. Shit. Uh, <clears throat> Pavlichenko fought for about two and a half months near Odessa, where she recorded 187 kills in two months. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Did you do the math on how many that would be per day? No. Okay. I, I think <laughs> that it's about two or three per day, but I could be That's wrong. That's crazy. Um, she was promoted to senior sergeant in August 1941 when she reached 100 confirmed kills. Uh, when the Romanians gained control of Odessa in October 1941, her unit was withdrawn um, to Sevastopol in the Crimean Peninsula, um, okay. where she fought for more than eight months. Um, in May 1942, she was lieutenant, um, and she was cited by the Southern Army uh, council for killing 257 Nazis. Um, her total confirmed kills during World War II was 309. Only? <laughs> Only 309. Uh, including 36 enemy snipers. Uh, her total kill count is probably a lot higher because confirmed kills... Yeah, so say confirmed versus like unconfirmed, yeah. yeah. Uh, confirmed needs to be witnessed by a third party and it has... Uh, there are certain rules that it has to abide by. Yeah. So she probably killed a, a whole lot more, more than 309, mm-hmm. but 309 puts her in the top five snipers of history. Wow. Yes. Um, one of her more famous quotes, she said that she didn't have any problem killing Nazis because every Nazi who remains alive will kill. Uh, dead Nazis are harmless. Um, therefore, if I kill a Nazi, I'm saving a life. Ah, oh, love it. 
Um, as her kill count rose, she was given more dangerous assignments, including counter sniping, which is like a duel with another sniper. sniper. Oh my gosh! That's <laughs> absolutely horrifying! Why would you say yes to that? Like, no, actually, I'll take a vacation for two weeks. Apparently, she was into it. She was... I mean, yeah, you go, girl. <laughs> um, counter sniping That sounds so intense. It required her to stay completely still for periods of 15 to 20 hours. I can do that. I can't even do that sleeping. Right. I move in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wake up, I'm on the other side of the bed. <laughs> uh, the Nazis knew who she was, and they knew that she was out there waiting for them. And so they would call to her from the loudspeakers on their tanks, asking her to join them. Ew, that probably actually enforced her to stay even worse. Still, she's like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> she was like, nope. <laughs> Um, she was injured four times. Uh, the last one uh, was the one that caused her to either retire or be reassigned. Um, she took a mortar blast and shrapnel to the face. Oh, sheesh. Yes. Um, she was either withdrawn from combat or she took a leave of absence. Uh, different sources say different things. You know what? She did her duty. <laughs> she did more than her duty. <laughs> she was awarded uh, the Hero of the Soviet Union Award. The Order of Lenin twice, the Medal for Battle Merit, a Medal for uh, the Defense of Odessa, a Medal for the Defense of Sevastopol, and a Medal for Victory over, over Germany in the Great Patri- Patriotic War of 1941-1945. Wow. Yes. One of the most decorated snipers in history. Um, after uh, she was pulled out of combat, she went and did a um, publicity visit to... America and Canada. Yes, that's the drunk history episode. <laughs> that's the drunk part. history episode. We, so what's so funny is that <clears throat> whole episode is literally after all of this that she has accomplished. Yes. God. Is it Padgett, Padgett Brewster who did that episode? Uh, yeah, she's the one who got drunk and told the story. Yes, yes. And she's so good at telling those stories. She's, she's going to be on the new season. I'm so excited. <laughs> she's my favorite. Pavlichenko. Um, and so Derek she, just fucks with her because he knows yeah. <laughs> that she'll get upset. <laughs> Nope, you said something after you cheers. You gotta start again. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Um, that's where she was invited to. Um, Pavlichenko was invited to meet Franklin Delano Roosevelt mm-hmm. and became the first Soviet invited to the White House. Ever. Oh, I mean, that makes sense, but I never like would have connected the dots on that. Yeah. Come on. Um. When she uh, she made friends with Eleanor Roosevelt, which is what the Drunk History episode is about, mm-hmm. um, while meeting with reporters in Washington, D.C., she uh, got accosted with a bunch of uh, sexist questions like, do you wear makeup in the field? <laughs> She's like, why would I care about having a shiny nose? Why yeah. Shooting, shooting at Nazis? people, yeah. Um, Remember, she doesn't consider Nazis people. She's like, they're fascists. They're not people. Yes, you're right. At those things. (laughs) Um, She said, one reporter even criticized the length of of the skirt of my uniform, saying that in America, women wear shorter skirts, and my uniform made me look fat. (laughs) I can't even respond to that. What the fuck? If, uh, If you're friends with a reporter who would ask that question, go ahead and punch them in the face for us. Um, or reevaluate your friends. Or reevaluate your friendship. I think punching is better because it's like 
I'm not going to condone violence. <laughs> <laughs> Carrot or the stick. Um, Pavlichenko appeared before the International Student Assembly in Washington, D.C., and later meetings of Congress of Industrial Organizations, made appearances and speeches in New York City and Chicago. Chicago in the Drunk History episode is the one where she stands up and she's like, Oh, yeah. Aren't you all, like, tired of hiding behind my skirts? Yeah. And everybody stands up and cheers, which is a strange thing to cheer for, but I think that once one person started cheering, everybody... Everyone kind of joined in. (laughs) Group Um, thing. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) She said, I am am 25 years old and I have killed 309 fascist, fascist invaders. Don't you think, gentlemen... That you have been hiding behind my backside for too long. I would applaud that. I would, too. Um, the United States gave her a Colt semi-automatic pistol, because we're the United States and we love guns. Um, in Canada, she was presented with a sighted Winchester rifle, which is now on display at the Central Armed Forces Museum in Moscow. Uh, while visiting in Canada, along with a fellow sniper, Vladimir uh, Chelensev, Chelensev. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, they were greeted by thousands uh, at Toronto's Union Station um, on Friday, November twenty first, nineteen forty two. Uh, she visited the UK and accepted a, a donation of four thousand five hundred and sixteen pounds from, from Coventry workers, uh, which was enough to pay for three extra units for the Red Army. And I did the math on this. 4,516 pounds um, in 1942 would be about $262,000 today. Holy shit. Yes. I'll take it. These were workers who just donated to her. This wasn't like the government giving her this. Um, She also visited the Coventry Cathedral Ruins, um, the Alfred Herbert Works, and the Standard Car Factory from which most funds had been raised. Um, having attained the, make, the rank of major, uh, Pavlichenko never returned to combat, but she did become an instructor and trained st- Soviet snipers until the war's end. Uh, okay. After the war, uh, she went back to school and finished up her education at Kiev University um, and began a career as a historian. From 1945 to 1953, she was a research assistant uh, for the Soviet Navy. Um, she w- later became an activist for veteran affairs in Russia, um, and she died on October 10th, 1974, at the age of 58. Does it say how she died? I think it was old age. Um, at 58? Yeah. That's not old. That's not old now. My parents are like that old. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1974. That was old then. Um... And that's the story of Lady Death. God. She's so badass. <laughs> that's so cool. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. So what is your uh, your story this week? Mine too is also about a badass lady. Yeah. So I think Andrew knows like one of my favorite topics. <laughs> you don't have to guess it. It's first ladies. Yeah. I love like learning about them. It, it's fascinating. And they can contain a lot of badass women, I believe, as well. Not to, like, sniper level, but in their <laughs> own right still. I would love to have a first lady named Lady Death. Who <laughs> Let's be One day, here. Andrew. <laughs> One day. Um, and it's so funny that you mentioned drunk history, because 
Drunk History also talks about this lady. Um, but her story just needs to be reiterated, I believe. So I'm going to be talking about Edith Wilson, okay. a.k.a. the wife of President Wilson, mm-hmm. a.k.a. our first female president. And the more I research this, the more I fucking believe it. <laughs> <laughs> We've already had a first female president. So, she's often cited as the quote-unquote secret president and quote-unquote first woman to rule, run the government. I mean, president. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's like go back to like her beginnings, just because kind of get to know her. So, she was born Edith Bowling. And she was born on October 15th, 1873. I like to face you when I talk. Right. <laughs> 1873 in Wytheville, Virginia. Okay. Um, and apparently, on her father's side, she's a direct descendant of Pocahontas. Is that true? Or mm-hmm. is that... Okay. No, like, Pocahontas and John Rolfe's children um, kind of, like, came all the way down to, like, her father's side. Because okay. her family, like, had lived... In America, kind of like since the Mayflower, almost type of sort of deal, and so with several articles, so you know, it might be fifty-eight percent accurate. Okay. But that's what a lot of them like to. That's like one of the interesting facts that they like to say about right. her. Well, there, I read an article last year that was uh, why do white people claim to be Cherokee or like one eighth something? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it basically said that like so they feel like they're. They belong here more. Yeah, it, uh, that it, they did a, take over the land. There's a paradoxical like thing where, like in psychology, these Southerners relate to the Cherokee struggle against the the government, and so like they claim to be Cherokee, and it makes them more white. And it's how about the fact that you may be that because someone raped someone? <laughs> Don't tell them that. I won't. <laughs> I'll just secret. stare at them. It's like I actually. actually I mean, I, I've told my parents, like, I want to do the, like, ancestry thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm, like, 99% sure I don't have any mm. Native Americans in me. I know that my dad's side is very, very, very Scottish. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm, like, 80% Scottish. Yeah. And my mom's side is also Scottish and German and British. Now, there might be some other little things. Yeah. But that's all I know. But I would be interested to see, like, what other parts or what surprising things. Yeah. I've told you the one story about my one of my mom's relatives yeah. like trying to like learn their history yeah. <laughs> and she goes back in time to like figure out where the family comes from oh. but then she stops <laughs> <laughs> and then my mom starts laughing like why did she stop laughing she goes well apparently there are these two brothers way back in time who used to be horse thieves and she's like oh that's too <laughs> evil I can't go any further back they were horse thieves <laughs> oh no not horse thieves <laughs> It's like that made her stop <laughs> her investigation. Like I could know more about that. She could like let that go by, but but yeah. So apparently they say she was a descendant of Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Um, she was the seventh of eleven children because you know it's way back in the day. And actually, nine of the eleven children survived. Um, she was not really formally educated. Yeah. Her other sisters. Um, got kind of an education, but for some reason, and they don't really go into it, um, she didn't. She actually was the one who was taking care of one of her grandmothers who was crippled uh, by a spinal cord injury, so she was confined to a bed. So it was Edith's job to, like, take care of her, bathe her, feed her, like, turn her over so she doesn't get sores, and, you know, watch over her grandmother's 26 pet canaries. (laughs) She was a big bird enthusiast, apparently. That's too many canaries. Like, two too many. 24 is fine, but 26 and I are just pushing it. <laughs> like, 
How do you take care of, like, how loud would it be in that place? That would be super loud. That would just be chirping 24 yeah. hours a day. Ah, but it was her grandmother who taught Edith to, like, read, write, and then also crochet and knit. Okay. All this stuff. Um, and they also say it was her grandmother who gave her her personality, like, hold on to your opinions strongly, don't let anyone change your opinions, and also how to make rational judgments, which yeah. will come into play later. So when Edith was 15, um, she did enroll at Martha Washington College, but she was there only semester. She hated it there. Apparently, like, things were not to par. It was really cold or something. I'm not really sure. Um, then when she was 17, she attended Pell's School for Girls in Richmond, Virginia, and apparently she had she had the best time there. She loved it. Yeah. But, I don't know. I didn't have enough time to look into this, but apparently she was only there a year because, and this is what they say, the headmaster had an accident and he lost his leg. So it's like the school shut down because he lost his leg. Like, there's like no other science behind why, like, the school shut down and why she was only there a year. Like, that makes no fucking sense. I work in higher education and I I believe that. Okay. (laughs) Um, I believe one person getting interviewed in the school school shut down. Shutting down. But it is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after that, Edith's father decided it was too costly to send her to school because, you know, women don't need education. Right. Um, so sometime later, a couple years later, Edith goes and visits one of her older sisters living in D.C., and there she met Norman Galt, a prominent jeweler. Okay. And so this is just, we're kind of fast-forwarding through her life. Um, they got married in 1896 and lived together for 12 years in D.C., uh, but then in 1908, Norman unexpectedly died of, like, a heart attack at 43. It does say that they had a son, but he died, like, within a couple of days. And, like, some complications happened, and she could never really have children afterwards. So she never had children. I mean, she had this child, but... Um, and I think she had an autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I, if she goes into it, she goes into it a little bit, but I think that's kind of a sore subject, which yeah. I can obviously under, I mean, not, I, I can't understand, but like, right. I sympathize with. So that's all they really talk about because no one cares about Norman Gall. All they care about is Edith's second husband. Right. So seven years later in 1915, Edith was introduced through a friend's like randomly to President Woodrow Wilson. Oh, it was, she was introduced by, the Helen Bones, which was the president's first cousin. Okay. Helen Bones? Yeah. That's a comic book character name. <laughs> Maybe it's under this lady. <laughs> um, Helen Bones was the president's first cousin, and uh-huh. she was the White House hostess slash first lady because Woodrow Wilson's first wife had died like a year ago. Right. So he became a widower while he was in office, and then he met... Um, Edith, mm-hmm. and his first wife died of kidney failure. It wasn't, like, anything weird. I mean, back in that day, it was kind of, like, normal. Yeah, but in um, her, it was just natural. Causes. Yeah, so they dated, fell in love, and got married <laughs> on December 18th, 1915. So all within a year. Apparently, he fell madly in love with her, like, really fast. Okay. And she was like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> as, as the reports go, she was also just as in love with him. Right, right. They say she was a truly qualified to be, like, a first lady. Um, but, uh, you know, being a first lady, it's a lot of social activities at the time, like putting together parties and events for the White House or for certain, like, um, holidays yeah, or yeah. people. Um, 
But right as she was becoming the first lady, we were kind of in World War One. <laughs> so that stuff wasn't really happening. Right. And Woodrow Wilson was like very, very busy trying to figure out what to do with a the first world war. So she stayed by his side constantly trying to help relieve some of his stress, like calm him down. And the history channel kind of talked about Woodrow Wilson's poor health. Like this one guy was like, he should have never become president. He was like in such poor health, which I've heard them talk about Kennedy that way too. Like Kennedy was like a very, very sick person. Like he was just constantly, I guess a child. So it's like, you can't, it's kind of a weird thing for someone to say, like you can't be president because you're like super sick, but um, he, he was also very old too. <laughs> so when he um, went to Europe to talk negotiations and peace treaties, um, Edith joined him. Um, so that was kind of like talking about how like they were kind of close as like a married couple and yeah. stuff, and he trusted her and she trusted him obviously. Um, so the war ended in 1918, and all was well. Just kidding, for it wasn't. <laughs> Just, yeah, actually, for a few days. Um, the war did end, but on October 2nd, 1919, President Woodrow Wilson suffered a severe stroke that left him paralyzed. He was confined to his bed, and we don't really know how bad his mental state was or anything, yeah. but um, I don't know. He had a severe stroke, and he literally was paralyzed on his left side. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so this is, the story. this is where the story gets interesting in my part. Or I think. Um, Edith Wilson basically comes and steps in as president, we will say. Um, So the story goes, Wilson is basically by his doctors. He's confined to a bed. Mm -hmm. Um, So she, Edith Wilson tells Congress and the cabinet members that he's very ill. So she will, like, take all the papers and give it to him, but they can't see him. But... She'll, like, relay on the information. She'll be, like, the basically the Pony Express go back and forth and just yeah. relay information. Um, and she will only let him look at what she thinks is important for him to look at. So if she thinks that it's, like, a bill that wouldn't be of importance or significance, she would say, no, he's not going to look at that. Um, and the whole reason they talk about this is, like, well, if he was really that bad, why didn't they just give it to the vice president and... <laughs> A lot of places said she did this because she knew her husband would have a huge fit and just hate it if he resigned. It would really depress him if, like, the vice president became president. And the vice president was this guy named Thomas Marshall, but I couldn't find anything about him other than he was from Indiana. Okay. Um, but I didn't look too hard. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. Are you saying that Hoosiers maybe shouldn't be president? <laughs> is, that what, is that what I'm picking up on here? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... The really interesting thing was, is, like, how, like, the really bad shape he was in was, Mm. like, top secret. Like, top, like, only, literally, you could probably count on one hand how many people knew how bad it was. Um, Which I think gets really interesting into the whole idea of, like, how the White House works, especially with the staff. Yeah. And how they, like, know how to keep secrets, which I think is amazing. Um very few people knew how extreme it was. Most just thought he was in bed recovering, but coherent, and, like, everything was fine. Um, she ran memos between Congress and Wilson, the cabinet and Wilson, and even his own freaking staff and Wilson. Like, his own personal wow. staff couldn't go inside without her. Like, they had to come to her. Um, so Edith Wilson says in her autobiography that she didn't make any of the decisions, and she just relayed them to her ill husband in bed and wrote what he said. So... Um, she said her husband performed all of his presidential duties. This is her quote in the book. I'm just going to tell you this first. 
So began my stewardship. I studied every paper sent from the different secretaries or senators and tried to digest and present in tabloid form the things that, despite my vigilance, had to go to the president. I myself never made a single decision regarding the disposition of public affairs. The only decision that was mine was what was important and what was not, and the very important decision of when to pres- uh, when to present matters to my husband. And I think she that whoever helped her with that said that she had to write that in there. Because in recent years, we have discovered some things. Um, we finally have recovered the president's uh, physician's notes yeah. at the time of that happened. And in his notes, it states that the stroke left him severely paralyzed on his left side, partially blind in his right eye, along with emotional maelstroms that accompany any serious life-threatening illness. Historians now say it has become clear that Eve Wilson acted as much more than a stewardship. She was essentially the nation's chief executive until her husband's second term ended in March 1921, and I will hardly believe it. You cannot tell me that she did not go in there and be like, well, this is what I think is going to happen. Right. <laughs> as illegal as that may be, badass. <laughs> <laughs> Most badass things are illegal, I think. <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, they don't really talk about... During this time, what happened and what didn't happen, because this is actually the least interesting, not least interesting, um, out of all of Wilson's eight years, this is like the most peaceful time. This is like war has ended. They've gotten through the war like anything, not anything could have happened, but like things could have happened and it just didn't seem that significant. So they don't really go into like um, what the president quote unquote signed off on or anything like that because I really don't think it was anything... Nothing huge happened, right. and nothing bad happened. There wasn't, like, a atomic bomb testing or things like nope, that. Nope, none of that stuff. So that that's the whole thing, is yeah. they don't go into, um, if she were to, if, she, if when she did, like, sign things or say this is what the president wants, yeah. it wasn't anything that made a huge impact on the future, I'm going to kind of say. It would be kind of cool to, like, uh, if you're a grad student looking for a research project, um, to go through and, like, trace those, the decisions that, that period, yeah. During that time period, and like what effect they, they actually yeah. have in the future. Yeah, that would be really, actually, that'd be really neat. If I had the time, well, actually, I think in her autobiography, we won't even talk about that because she'd be like, well, that had nothing to do with me. Right, right. <laughs> cough, cough. Cough, cough. Yeah. Um, so, they, this is the part that they talk about in the drug history episode that I think is really interesting. So, finally, two people from Congress go and see him in his room. Right. So, um, to see how he is. So on December 5th, basically two months after his stro- initial stroke, yeah. Gilbert Hitchcock and Albert Fogg go to see President Wilson. <laughs> Apparently. Hitchcock and Fogg? Fall. F-A-L-L. Okay. Yeah. Hitchcock and Fall. Yeah. These names are killing me. I love it. I know. I saw Hitchcock. I was like, Hitchcock? Um, but um, apparently Woodrow Wilson and his wife, um, they propped him up. And then they try to hide his paralysis by covering up his left side with a blanket. Yeah. So they just, like, draped a blanket over his left side so they couldn't tell that he was paralyzed or anything like that. And they were like, oh, okay. Right. Seems legit. He's just not feeling well today. We'll come back. Blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> no, he's fine. Like, they, they didn't know that he was paralyzed. Right. So we can Bernie is... Uh, it's a real thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... He had a stroke in October. They went and visited him in December. And, like, you have to remember, this is, like, the early 1920s, late 1919, or, like, 1919, 1920, 1921. 
Um, so it wasn't really till February that the public started hearing all the rumors about the president having a stroke or being sick and the public's getting concerned, but they're not really sure what it is that's happened. Cause like I said, this is all shrouded in secrecy, like not even the press is hundred percent sure what happened. Yeah. Um, so you, I know you know what they did to calm the public down, right? What's that? Um, they took that picture. Yeah. Like, no, we'll show he's fine. Yeah. So basically, the, and it's a pretty famous picture. Like, I've seen it before. It's probably anytime you Google Woodrow Wilson, this is the picture that shows up. It's the Woodrow Wilson sitting in the Oval Office. He's literally propped up, pretending to sign uh, an important document. And Edith is standing next to him. He, she's standing up next to him on his left side that's paralyzed basically like holding down touching the paper that he's signing like right. looking over him um and this was the first picture that was taken of him after his stroke and i kind of like stared at the picture when i was looking doing all the research for this and it was it's kind of a weird picture to me because if you take away the concept like you didn't know he just had a stroke it actually looks like official. It looks like yeah. he is like ready to work and all that stuff. But then when you like put back on that filter and like, no, that's just after him having a stroke, it literally looks like he could be a statue figure, yeah. like a wax figure almost. Yeah. And it's this woman saying like, yeah, this is a real person. And not that he wasn't a real person, but like, this is just normal. Yeah. But it calmed the public down. We're like, oh no, he's fine. We see this in a picture. Like, Seems I mean, obviously crazy. he's still alive. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they were concerned like, is our president alive or dead? Right. <laughs> um, so they did that, and so everyone, for the most part, kind of calmed down, and they he they just carried out the rest of his presidency like this. Like, he was still bedridden. He never obviously fully recovered. Right. And Edith Wilson pretended to show him the memos, and I'm like, <laughs> I like to wholeheartedly believe, and I'll wait before anyone proves me wrong, and I'll be happy to see some proof yeah. that she did not make these decisions. Right, right. Um. So a little more back after that, Woodrow Wilson died three years after leaving office. Like, he was bedridden the entire time. Um, but Edith lived to be 89, passing away in 1961. So she lived quite a while. She got to see Kennedy's inauguration and stuff. Um, and they talk about how FDR kind of tried to go off of what Woodrow Wilson did as mm -hmm. declaring, like, the next world war. Yeah. Um, she, uh, so if we're going to go along the lines that she was president, they say that she was president for one year and five months, which means she was president longer than William Henry Harrison, Garfield, and Zachary Taylor. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I like that, that little part. <laughs> um, yep, anyone can beat William Henry Harrison, but, uh, do you hear first lady? Uh, I'm not sure. Um. I do. Who's that? It's gotta be Eleanor Roosevelt. Like, I know she's the most famous, but like... Also a badass. God, yeah. She did so much. And I really like to think that her and FDR just had like a handshake marriage. Like, yeah. we're cool bros. <laughs> um, but we're gonna do our own thing. <laughs> but they agreed on policies and politics like so, most of the time. Not yeah. all the time. And I think it worked for them. <laughs> I think so. But do you have... I don't know. That's all right. You don't have to know. As an anarchist, I don't really like presidents <laughs> and first ladies. All right. Let's how about ladies who happen to be in the Oval Office during times that very few were? Which uh, I would have to say Eleanor. Yeah. I know. She's pretty badass. Yeah. But that's it about Edith Wilson. Okay. 
I'll do another one about a first lady another time. <laughs> there are so many good ones. Yeah. Like, Abigail Adams is so fascinating to me, too. Yeah. Go on about her, too. So much. Awesome. All right. Um, do you have anything to plug? No. no. Shoot. I, didn't think, I was like, oh, I was going to ask you something and I already forgot. I got nothing right now. You got nothing. All right. Um... Get some sleep. It'll make your life better. <laughs> yeah. Get some sleep. Um, stop reading Twitter at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know that if you don't look at Twitter for like four hours, you've missed 10 news cycles, but just let your brain rest a little bit. Yeah, seriously. Um, unplug, literally. Yeah, unplug. Uh, check out the website, um, Absinthe Activism Arts. Dot WordPress. Uh, dot com. Uh, we're going to get a Twitter up. One of these days. Maybe in two years. Maybe. <laughs> On our hundredth episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what we'll do to solve it. <laughs> uh, hopefully we'll have a guest star next week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As always, buy my book, read my writings, and uh, yeah, we still haven't come up with a song. I was just thinking that. It's like, we'll come up with one. <laughs> right after you stop on this, we'll come up with one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So until next time. (laughs) Until next time, listeners. uh, See you next time.